This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Friends, welcome back to another episode of Lit Pulpit. We are jumping into Walker Percy's The Movie Goer. And our discussion today is going to center on how God and religion are portrayed in this novel. As we get ready to jump in, I want to start with a great quote from Walker Percy. He said this, quote, My next novel shall be mainly given to ass-kicking for Jesus' sake, end quote. That is a great quote, Austin, is it not? That is a great way for us to start off this episode. And I think this quote is uh, relevant, not only because it's a great quote, but it raises this tension that Walker Percy spoke about and wrote about, this tension for the Christian artist to write and do imaginative work that is speaking to the truth but is doing so in an age where the language around Christianity and even the way Christianity has been embodied in the American context is so discredited, so overwrought, so overused, that it's difficult to know how to portray religion and God in true and sincere ways. Percy also had another great quote where he said, the old words of grace are worn smooth as poker chips. This is his way of saying we almost um, have to use fresh art, fresh vocabulary to get the scandal and power and shock of the gospel across to people in the modern age, uh, given the failures of Christianity in our American context in so many ways. So that raises the question for us, Austin, how does this novel, The Moviegoer, written uh, in uh, 1961, uh, this sort of beginning of our modern age in a lot of ways, How does this novel speak about God and religion when Percy is, one, an author who recognizes the great challenge of communicating the faith uh, in this particular age, but then secondly, has set out to write novels that push and prod people uh, towards this great truth? Austin, is there a passage you want to start us with as we think about exploring how the moviegoer and Binks' journey describes or explores issues of God and religion? There is. And I think this passage that I'm about to read typifies exactly what you just said, how religion has been so trivialized and with it, just life experience so trivialized that uh, there's just no real content or excitement to any of it. Uh, that one can't just will him or herself into. And that I think is what Percy's getting at with this passage right here, where he writes, this is Binks speaking in the first person. My mother's family think I've lost my faith and they pray for me to recover it. I don't know what they're talking about. Other people, so I have read, are pious as children and later become skeptical. Not I. My unbelief was invincible from the beginning. I could never make heads or tails of God. The proofs of God's existence may have been true for all I know, but it didn't make the slightest difference. 
If God himself had appeared to me, it would have changed nothing. In fact, I have only to hear the word God, and a curtain comes down in my head. My father's family think that the world makes sense without God, and that anyone but an idiot knows what the good life is, and anyone but a scoundrel can lead it. I don't know what either of them are talking about. Really, I can't make heads or tails of it. The best I can do is lie rigid as a stick under the cot, locked in a death grip with every dayness, sworn not to move a muscle until I advance another inch in my search. Then he has a little notebook with this little reminder written to himself, remember tomorrow, starting point for the search. It no longer avails to start with creatures and prove God, yet it is impossible to rule God out. The only possible starting point, the strange fact of one's own invincible apathy, that if the proofs were proved and God presented himself, still nothing would be changed. Here is the strangest fact of all. Abraham saw signs of God and believed. Now the only sign is that all the signs in the world make no difference. And I'll stop there. All the signs in the world would make no difference. It's this sense of apathy, this sense of meaninglessness to it all, this sense of triviality uh, that underscores everything in this book. And it's his search for having some experience of life that means something in what seems otherwise to be a meaningless and incoherent life. You use that word apathy. I think that's a really important one. So the context for Binks, uh, we've talked about this on the, on our, our previous episodes, uh, but just to remind listeners, um, uh, if you're reading along or maybe listening as a preview of jumping into the book, either of those are great. Binks is about to turn 30. He's, he's pretty successful. Um, he's successful in his career. Uh, he is, um, you know, in, in his view, successful romantically. Uh, um, he's kind of got everything that, that you could, you could sort of want. His life is, is fine, but he, but he, he speaks of this malaise and he speaks of this search of trying to find the sort of deeper meaning of things. He, he can just he can tell, even though he has everything that he's supposed to have, he can tell something is is missing. He's not satisfied. And that idea of apathy, I think, is uh, is an interesting one because part of this idea, the malaise that comes up throughout the novel, and we spoke about this a little bit on the previous episode, it makes me think of uh, sloth and it makes me think of apathy, this sort of um, inability to make a decision to sort of exert oneself in a good and sort of righteous kind of way. And you can, you can hear that when Binks is thinking, um, when he's thinking about religion and you can, you can sort of make that out that he's not able to make heads or tails of God. If God himself appeared to me, it would have changed nothing. When I hear the word God, a curtain comes down over my head. Um, you know, my family thinks they can make sense of the world without God. Um, and the opposite view, he says, I don't, I really don't know what anyone, either of them are talking about. He, he, there's this sort of fog before his eyes when it comes to these things. Now, certainly we see moments in the novel where that's uh, insinuated as being the result of how others engage with religion. Later in the novel, uh, not too far after this this moment, that you've drawn from uh, Austin, 
Binks runs into um, runs into extended family, kind of like in a uh, providential or or sort of kind of random occurrence uh, at the beach. They end up going to Catholic mass, and we hear his sort of commentary of that experience. And he says this about his extended family, the Smiths. Um, he, he says that. Um, that they are uh, they are those who, when the subject of religion is raised, it provokes in them, quote, the acutest embarrassment. Eyes are averted, throats are cleared, and there occurs a murmuring for a minute or two until the subject can be changed. But then he goes on to say this. This is page 159. But I have heard them argue 45 minutes about the mechanics of going to Mass and with all the ardor of belief, as if in debating the merits of the 9 o'clock Mass in Biloxi, as against the 1030 Mass in Bay St. Louis, they were indeed discussing religion. And who can say they weren't? But perhaps they're right. Certainly, if they spoke to me of God, I would jump into the bayou. So you can hear this is sort of a, a, a sort of echo, a reoccurrence, a ripple of the passage that you just read, right? Uh, if he if he's spoken to of God, here are these two responses. Feels like a curtain comes over his head. But now this is a volitional one. In the first example that you read, when God is spoken of, it feels like a curtain's over his head. But now if these people speak to him about God, Binks is saying, I, I, I'll just, you know, I'll just jump into to the nearest big dangerous body of water. And I think one describes his sort of, um, you know, malaise existence. And this one describes a malaise um, in his relation to God in response to Christian culture around him. You know, so if God is going to be brought up, this is how he's going to respond. Well, why is that? I, I'm curious what you think. It, it seems to it seems to me that he he registers in this extended family, his extended family, that they don't have a real grasp on religion, although they know how to sort of put on airs. They know how to have this debate that that doesn't really have the heart or the substance of of religion, spirituality, the true faith, but they can play it really well. They can debate for 45 minutes the difference between mass in one place versus another place. Binks seems to have a sense that this is not the real thing when it comes to religion, but then he he has this sort of shoulder shrugging moment. Well, who can say they weren't really discussing religion? And to him that inability to distinguish, you know, what's the real depth of of a true faith versus the sort of Christendom, Southern culture, and his particular time, you know, to him, he's sort of like, I'll just, there's no life here. I'll just, I'll just jump in the water. You know, I'll, I'll avoid this at, at any cost. So, so I think there's, there's a lot of layers to how religion and God are depicted in the novel. I think these two passages are beginning to wade us into those waters. What, what do you make of these two texts or these two sections rather when we put them together? Well, I, I think Actually, let me add one more to it so we can have three layers to... Yeah, Trinitarian layers. Okay, let's do that. Yes, let's be Trinitarian on this. Because I think that that opens up an important vista, and then this one uh, opens up another one. And this is on page 200, where he says, and I think this is a really important observation, um, Christians talk about the horror of sin, but they've overlooked something. They keep talking as if everyone were a great sinner, when the truth is that nowadays one's hardly up to it. There's very little sin in the depths of the malaise. The highest moment of a Malaysian's life can be that moment when he manages to sin like a proper human. So, What page is that? That's page 200. And that, when I 
reread this recently leapt off the page to me because it tracks with something that I've been uh, remarking for several years now as a pastor, which is that we we rightly talk about the need for for folks to recognize our sinfulness, but for folks for whom there is no meaning or purpose in life, <laughs> the concept of sin and sinfulness already is incoherent and doesn't make much sense. I remember reading years ago Paul Tillich's The Courage to Be, and Tillich talks about how there are three principal little a anxieties that human beings wrestle with, and uh, those are fate slash death, guilt slash meaninglessness, and uh, sin slash guilt, and says that each human being always has some anxiety deriving from all three of those things, but says that uh, that generally speaking, collectives uh, across different eras of human history are marked by one of those more prevalent anxieties. And he talks about how in, in the ancient period it was uh, fate and death, um, how uh, up through the Protestant Reformation, it was sin and guilt. And then uh, in modernity, it really shifted to um, meaninglessness that uh, uh, takes the form of, of doubt. Um, and the reason I mention any of that is to say that I think that's, a, and, and I'm not a huge Talik, and I mean, I, I you know, I, <laughs> we're much different places on the resurrection of Jesus and some other things, but I think he's a really sharp um uh, interpreter of history and, and of, of the human condition. And I think that there's something significant to be said about this when we think about evangelism and when we think about the way that uh, we, we speak to folks uh, about the gospel in the moment that we're in, which this quote right here really gets at to me, which is that if we start with a notion of sinfulness, and this is bracketing whatever the Holy Spirit can always do what the Holy Spirit's going to do, but for a lot of folks, I feel like the, 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 the principal weight is not a sense of guilt embedded because of sinfulness, but a sense of what's the point? Is there any meaning for all of this? And all I think right. that's exactly what Binks is getting at right here. And I think he's able to get at it because he's speaking for himself. Like, mm -hmm. you can tell me I'm sinful all you want, but that doesn't really mean anything to me because I don't think life matters anyway. <laughs> so it's yeah. like you got to, it's, 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 it's a question of which, which note are we striking as, um, as either uh, Christian leaders or, or folks just trying to present the gospel to folks. Um, I think this book's a helpful window into that. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. For Binks, meaningless is that that key note, right? That's that question he keeps circling back to. I think you're I think you're really picking up on something important. You know, when he the bus scene that we spoke about earlier, uh, or rather in the previous episode that occurs earlier in the novel, 
right? He has this sort of longing, this desire to have this kind of connection and he sort of, well, oh, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. It doesn't really matter. Um, and, and he continues to look for that, right? He looks for that. He's looking for some kind of, um, some deep meaning, some sort of, uh, something that's beyond his day to day of kind of like, okay, you know, stockbroker doing these different sort of things. Um, you know, visiting Uncle Jules and talking college football and all this sort of stuff. Like he's he's searching, right? He's trying. He talk and he's 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 uh, explicit about this. This idea, of the search, which is a search for meaning. And I think you're I think you're right to pick up on that and to hit that note of meaning um, is to open him up to the greater story of of God, right? And maybe what he's seeing in you know, his family, when they, you know, getting ready to go to mass and they're debating these sort of things, he, he doesn't see, he doesn't see meaning. He sees, um, he sees a cultural sort of performance. He sees something that, um, that for them doesn't, doesn't register at a deep level. Maybe to him, it's no different than the things that he does in his sort of free time. There's the, there's no answer to the search there. There's just frantic activity that has symbols, um, but the symbols don't really register for him. And it's interesting that uh, you draw from this quote, which is a great quote about, you know, people don't basically don't have, aren't alive enough to sin. They are just sort of, um, they're just sort of passive. They're, they're just sort of aimless. They're sort of um, just wandering, right? This is according to Banks's view. This, I think, loops us back to that comment you mentioned about apathy, right? This is a, um, there's sort of a, malaise slothful human existence according to Binks right according to his perspective where um, you just sort of go day by day in a dull passive kind of um, shoulder shrugged life and it's interesting there there's a tradition of thinking about sin in these terms right there's um, there's commentary I'm thinking of uh, Karl Barth church dogmatics he talks about kind of a form of sin that's heroic this sort of uh, what we think of kind of high-handed sin rebellion against God, kind of this exertion of our agency, right? We use our image-bearing capacities, but in these bent and warped ways. But he also speaks about a form of sin that's sort of this kind of dull, soul-rotting passivity where like, we don't even, um, we, don't, we can't even drudge up the effort to sort of uh, rebel against God. We're just in a passive state of ignoring God and all of his gifts, right? And we don't even try. Um, we won't even fashion an idol. We'll just sort of say, well, God doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. And we just sort of sit there and we, uh, you know, rot into oblivion, right? If we want to be really extreme and exaggerate images. And I think that that really strikes me as sort of what this novel is depicting, that in our context, in our cultural context, with all of these symbols of um, religion and Christendom around us, the real threat is this sin of passivity, the sin of the malaise, the sort of being so lost in the fog that we miss the beauty of God that's around us, that's meant to lead us to him. It's also interesting when we think about this, that some of the characters that do have a sense of God are characters who are not in comfortable positions, but are sort of like having breakdowns. <laughs> They're having breakdowns of their body, um, you know, or even sort of um, emotional breakdowns. So there's uh, Lonnie, uh, Binks's brother, uh, who is disabled in a wheelchair. And he engages in this big conversation about communion with Binks in the Eucharist. And, and Lonnie seems to, through his suffering, uh, he's found this kind of connection with God. And then there's also Binks's. Uh, Binks' friend Kate, um, 
Kate has this line where she says, have you ever noticed that not only, um, that only in times of disaster or illness or death, that people are real? So this, these things that, you know, we don't, we shouldn't go searching for, but they sort of break up this, this apathy, they break up meaninglessness, they break up the fog and they open us up to something greater, right? It's interesting. These two characters kind of wander a little bit towards some deeper things, deeper answers. Um, you think we're onto something here? What, 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 what do you, what would you add to this Austin as we're thinking, you know, my comments about this kind of extending your observation about passivity and sin in this way, but then even bringing in Kate and, and, um, and Lonnie as characters who are, who are hurting, but actually in this hurting, they're sort of opened up. They're kind of set free, at least for a moment from the malaise and they can kind of grasp towards something higher. What do, what do you think of this? I think it would be wonderful if we had Jessica on right here because she could marry her love for Walker Percy with Flannery O'Connor and point out <laughs> the way that they use those moments you're talking about right here, that these are the moments where this violent grace erupts that I think of in A Good Man is Hard to Find. The misfit says she could have been a good woman if she'd had a gun pointed to her head her whole life. you know. Um, but no, I think I, I think that I love so much of what you just said. I mean, the, 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 the Carl Bart uh, reference was spot on. Um, I think that's a, a really, really, really sharp point for how to um, kind of expound on what he's pointing out here. And I think it's absolutely right. And uh, there's this other part that, as you were talking, I thought we have to actually touch on because it's exactly what you're saying. Um, he, he says, what a sickness it is, this latter day post-Christian sex. To be pagan, it would be one thing, an easement taken easily in a rosy old pagan world. To be Christian, it would be another thing fornication forbidden and not even to be thought of in the new life but to be neither pagan nor christian but this oh this is a sickness so it's it if it if it were pagan okay this is just this is what we do and there's 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 uh there's kind of ritual and everything in it and uh we, we just live in our materiality if it's if it's Christian, then it's we're 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 sinning boldly. We're 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 uh, alive and, and aware of the way that we're transgressing. But he's saying, but this this post-Christian, uh, this is this is a sickness. He calls it. Um, so I yes, I think I think all of this is uh, is all over what he's trying to highlight here about the way that this malaise that uh, is just a condition of modernity of of being folks that live in the aftermath of the enlightenment that, you know, he talks about the curtain coming down. I mean, I think that is the metaphor for what it is to, to live uh, post enlightenment, even as people of faith, you know, we talked about the cross pressures, uh, Charles Taylor's idea of cross pressure in, in the last episode. And here again, I think it's worth circling back to, which is that we can be people of, of faith. You and I certainly are, are that, you know, we have given our lives to try and invite people into faith, but we can't be pre-modern. We can't go back to where things don't feel mediated. We can't go back to where the world, when we see something, we don't immediately figure out all right, how, how are we going to solve this problem? You know, we, we're, we're fruits of a world where surely there's an answer, you know, that what we can figure out why this is the way that it is. Um, and, and that's just part of part of what it means to be alive right now. Even when we ostensibly 
know that this is a mystery that we're never going to be able to understand because we're finite and God's infinite. Still, we're so programmed. We're so used to, all right, well, we just hadn't figured it out as humanity yet, but give us enough time and we'll figure this thing out. Like it's a logical contradiction that we as people of faith have to wrestle with. Um, And that's all part and parcel of living with a little bit of that curtain there. Um, And part of what we try to do, I think, Claude, is is try to invite people back (laughs) back underneath the curtain, so to speak, to, to actually have a reconnection with a living God and with a world that speaks. Uh, there's some more Bardian language. This is this this one's brought to you by Carl Bart, apparently. Um, but I don't know. I mean, what do, what, do, what do you think of all that? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if we, um, I think there's some interesting directions um, to go in this conversation. And maybe we can, maybe this will bleed into to our next one. I'd be curious what people, you know, may comment on on our Facebook group or, or send us a note. Because there's sort of, um, there's added layers we could think about um, Aunt Kate, or excuse me, uh, Aunt Emily. And she really represents another way of kind of thinking about these deeper questions of, of uh, religion and orientation in the world. But I think you're helping us kind of step into the present in some ways which is useful. I think from this, we need to consider how do we see and relate to God and the search in the mundane, right? In, um, in a world that is mediated, right? These things aren't going away. You know, um, it's interesting, the language that Binks uses when he, they go to mass is that we're packed in as sardines, right? And it's sort of this consumption, um, right? This sort of, this product, right? Um, and there's another sort of ref- reference to language of kind of um, production or sort of mass marketing that occurs in that section as well. So I need, I think we ought to think about uh, additionally, you know, how, how do we make sure, how are we wise about how our religious life as Christians, as the, as the church gathers, how do those not fall prey to the sort of mediation that would make things feel um, and be interpreted as yet another product of marketing or meaninglessness? You know, the medium is the message. There's no way of escaping those sort of things. So I think we have to think hard about that. And I think we also have to, have to uh, consider that you know, one of the manifestations of sin that we are dealing with, that we're affected by, is not simply, as we mentioned earlier, it's not simply the sort of volitional sin of, you know, going out and, um, you know, transgressing, but it's also the sin of hopelessness and meaninglessness, um, the sort of shrug shoulder uh, dynamic and weight that's upon us. So we, we do, I think, I think this novel really urges us to take seriously that we know that feeling and there's people around us that are uh, really uh, really trapped inside of that um, inside of that malaise and and how do we through our presence through our words through the gospel help people help uh, help people see that there's a way to be set free into a different sort of fullness um, in our in our in our simp- in our living uh, I think those are the sort of questions that this novel presents to us. You know, for Binks, being set free is sort of uh, these reckless moves. Okay, Kate, here we go. Hopping on the train. We're skipping town. You know, we're we're, we're going on the lamb kind of sort of thing. But surely there's ways to uh, to find the beauty and the goodness of God in in the mundane 
and we have to draw people into those things, help them lift their eyes to those things. Uh, and I think that's our task, um, certainly as pastors, right? But also as Christians, you know, for, for one another and to our neighbors. That's really, really well put, Claude. And I think that that's where this book tries to point us toward uh, in the way that the kind of Christian art that, that Percy advocates for, uh, I think he actually typifies in this book because this doesn't wrap everything in a nice, neat bow. But I think as we work towards talking about the, the conclusion of this book, we see little signals of, of that, of the, the capacity to, to find to be found by God is probably a better way to put it through yeah. through the through the mundane, as opposed to living a life of consumerism, which is another way of saying of distraction. You know, the mm-hmm. the movie goer is. And there's a line where he talks about somebody's a movie goer even though he doesn't go to movies. <laughs> so this, that that one way that we try to anesthetize ourselves against the sense of meaninglessness is to just, as Neil Postman put it in the classic title of his book, amuse ourselves to death. You know. Yes. And there's 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 a there's a way that that can happen within religion too. You know, religion can become a form of that. And, no doubt. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of, you know, the classic text for that is, you know, Luke 10, Mary and Martha. Um, and, um, you know, Martha is doing all the things that actually do need to be done, right? But I think what's happening there is, you know, she's she's distracted away from away from where where Jesus is and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. So I think that is, that is a word for... Uh, for us within, uh, you know, as those part of God's people, it's not just, uh, not just something out there, but it's something in and with us too. This has been a, a really good discussion. I, I'm really curious if folks listening in, they, if they, you know, your thoughts, um, where do you see, are there layers that you would add to this conversation about God and religion in the novel? Certainly we're scratching, uh, the beginning of the surface. So we'd love to hear from y'all. Um, send us a note, drop in on our Facebook group. Uh, link will be in the show notes. Be interested as well to hear if there's other novels or films or, or albums that do this sort of work that take seriously this question of the malaise and meaninglessness and gesture towards a way of breaking through. So if there's a movie, other other novels uh, or albums that for you kind of capture this um, this this sort of plague, but point the way forward. We'd love to hear those. Maybe compile a little bit of list. Uh, that that would be kind of neat. So, as always, thanks for listening in. Leave a uh, leave a review. Uh, engage with us in our uh, in our Facebook group, or drop us a note on on uh, socials, and uh, share this with a friend. Uh, encourage them to read along. Uh, this is a great resource that can really shape us. And we'll be back in your favorite podcast app with another episode real soon. Thanks for listening, y'all. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.